And we are live. Good evening, good day, everyone. It's great to be back with you. It's nice to see you all. So today we have a very interesting topic. Aliens, UFOs, are aliens real? Are they here? Is the US government hiding some proof? And we'll talk also about space travel. Does life exist on other worlds? About the moon exploration, Mars exploration, and much more. So we have an interesting session ahead of us. So let me start with a question for you all. Have you heard of the Battle of Nuremberg? So let me show you what that is. So this is the Battle of Nuremberg. It's a football match in the 2006 World Cup. It was between Portugal and the Netherlands. And this match was remarkable for the number of red cards and yellow cards. There were 16 yellow cards and four red cards. It's a ridiculous match. You should see the highlights on YouTube. But as you know, I am not here to talk about football. So let me show you what I really am talking about. So there was a different Battle of Nuremberg. I'm talking about the original Battle of Nuremberg, which happened in the 16th century. So let's take a look at that. So this is what I'm talking about. In the year 1561, there was this celestial phenomenon over the city of Nuremberg, which is, which is the original Battle of Nuremberg. So what happened is that this was a mass sighting of celestial phenomena or UFOs above the city of Nuremberg. So it was, it was observed by almost everybody in the city. Thousands of people saw it at the same time. It happened on the morning of April 14, 1561 at daybreak. And uh, at first it appeared in the middle of the sun, two blood red semicircular arcs. And then there were lots of cylinders and there was a tri black triangle. And there were cylinders and spheres and odd-shaped odd objects. And there was a kind of battle between these strange objects. So this is a mass UFO sighting that happened in 1561. It's a historical sighting. And this sort of event, this sort of sighting, which is observed by thousands of people at the same time, is very hard to dismiss. And it's not the first time something like this has happened. Such things have happened before as well. And they have, have happened after this event as well. For example, just a few years ago, about a decade or so ago, I believe, if not less, there was an event somewhere in Africa where some sort of an some sort of a UFO is supposed to have landed near a school. And lots of school children actually saw this UFO and maybe even alien beings. So there have been many such reports of mass sightings by multiple witnesses of UFOs. So my position is that it is one cannot just dismiss these uh, reports of UFO sightings and, and the such. On the other hand, nowadays we have this, uh, this new trend. The US government is trying to mainstream the, the, the idea of UFO sightings and they are releasing certain pieces of uh, certain clips, certain video clips, black and white video clips. And they are talking about UFOs and it's being mainstreamed right now. The US media is very much involved. And therefore, this topic is again in the news. So the question is, how uh, believable is this? 
is there any truth to it are they hiding some information have they had information about ufos and aliens in the past other countries too like the uk have also reported such sightings the strange thing is that there are not so many sightings in other parts of the world like in asia etc so it's a, it's a contentious issue but it's a very interesting issue because it's a fascinating thing i mean if aliens actually exist and if they have actually visited us i mean what can be more interesting than that it's a fascinating topic and it's something that brings out the curiosity and imagination in all of us so that's what that's one of the issues we're going to talk about so let me take some of your questions about this let's start this off and take some of your questions so this question is by jay thanki us navy has officially admitted re regular sightings of ufos now called unidentified aerial phenomena and the pentagon has admitted the existence of classified programs for studying these namely aatip yes so now so these days they are admitting that they have been studying these phenomena and they have had such classified programs in the past uh, such the existence of such programs has been known to some extent there was something called project blue book in the 60s and 70s and they it seemed that they were studying such phenomena so yes right now they have officially admitted that such phenomena have been observed and they are being studied so that's what uh, is in the news right now so how true is that that's the question right next question again by jaythanki a declassified report on these uap studies is due for presentation to us congress this month what are your opinions let's wait and watch i mean uh, we will know what to think about it only once we have the information of this declassified report so let's see what they have to say about this i get the feeling that they are trying to prepare the ground for some sort of uh, strategic action maybe they want to uh, start the us space force or maybe uh, invest more funds and resources into it so maybe this is a way of preparing the public for it but maybe there is truth to it so let's wait for the declassified report and let's wait for what they reveal in it and then we will have more information as a scientist you need data and only then you can uh, uh, you can pass any uh, or and only then can you come come to sort of a conclusion so as you will see right now scientists are rather quiet about this they are waiting for more data so let's let's wait for more data okay there is one second okay pankaj sharma thank you sir the question is can isro make money through asteroid mining if yes then how much would it cost and how much profit will it make do you think isro is underfunded excellent question this is about the indian space program and the indian space agency isro so let me give you some broad statistics in this year 2021 till date the chinese space program has made about 15 rocket launches and it's mostly been reconnaissance satellites which is spy satellites military satellites so their space program is very active today is the is the 6th uh, today is the 5th of june that's we are like almost halfway through the year so in about half a year they have made 15 rocket launches now take spacex which is a private company they have made 16 launches of the falcon 9 and the falcon heavy rocket 
and they have made four experimental launches of their Starship rocket. So they are very active in, in, in launching vehicles and also testing this new rocket, the Starship. On the other hand, ISRO in this year has made one launch of the PSLV and that's it. So India's uh, space program is kind of dormant. It is, it's half awake, half asleep, not much activity going on. Absolutely no new tests are happening for new technologies, new rockets, heavier, more powerful rockets, absolutely nothing. So as a scientist, the ISRO has great scientists, by the way, some of the best scientists in the world. They have done so much with so little money. So as a scientist, you want to test every day. Right. That's the nature of, of uh, science and technology. You cannot progress without testing new technology. You have ideas, you have concepts, you will, will create models and prototypes, and then you want to test these models and prototypes to see how well or how badly they perform. And then you iteratively progress and, and make it better. So that is the whole concept of testing. Not only rockets, it's, it also applies to software and to all kinds of other, other technologies. So why is ISRO not launching rockets? Why is it not testing new rockets? Because it is grossly underfunded. It's as simple as that. We have the talent. We have the best brains in the world. We have the best scientists in ISRO. They have achieved so much. But the only thing that is holding ISRO back is the lack of vision and lack of ambition of our political class. They are not funding ISRO enough. I mean, we know that ISRO sent a, sent a spacecraft to Mars, right? A few years ago. It was the Mangalyan 1 mission. The budget for this mission was, was less than the budget for the Hollywood movie Gravity. So this mission succeeded in sending a spacecraft to another planet in the first attempt successfully on less money it takes to make a Hollywood movie. I mean, that's the kind of funding or lack of it that ISRO receives, and yet it does so well. So yes, ISRO is grossly underfunded uh, about making money through asteroid mining. We have to first reach the asteroids, and then we will be able to mine the asteroids, right? We don't have even have a space program, a, a, a manned space program yet. The Gaganyaan mission was supposed to launch in 2122. I think it has been delayed because of the current situation, which we are aware of. So it has been pushed back if I am uh, if I am uh, correctly informed. So we need to first have a, man, a, man, a manned space program. We need to be able to launch human beings into low Earth orbit. And then we need to be able to progress beyond low Earth orbit up to the moon, for example. And only then can we think about going further. So the asteroid belt is between Mars and Jupiter. So we have to first be able to reach Mars. And only then can we go further ahead from Mars. So it's a long road. We haven't even taken the first step yet in, in even putting human beings into low Earth orbit. So we have a long road ahead of us as far as ISRO is concerned. I sincerely hope that the Indian government will invest in space exploration and India's indigenous space program because that is what holds the key to the future of India to a great extent because the two or three countries that are going to lead the world in space exploration in the 21st centuries are the two or three countries who will decide the fate of the entire planet. That's how simple it is. So India has to take the lead. Right now India is doing nothing which is disappointing but I hope that there will be a change soon. So I hope that answers your question Pankaj. Thank you for the question. Okay let's take 
some more questions. This is from Anurag Shekhar. Thank you, Anurag. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much for starting this series. You are one of the few people preserving our national treasures. Thank you so much. You don't have a question. Uh, I appreciate your kind uh, remark. I really thank you for that. Thank you so much. I'm I'm happy to interact with you guys. It's uh, it's it's great fun, and it's it's really nice to see so much interest in these topics, which are not essentially part of the mainstream conversation. The mainstream conversation is politics in Bollywood, and the breaking news. What I talk about is something very different from that. So I am very glad to see so much participation from you guys. So so thank you, Adurag. Appreciate it. Okay, one more question. This is from Akshat Bhadwaj. Thank you, Akshat. How is the Chinese space program as compared to ISRO? So the Chinese program is far ahead of ISRO at the moment. It is a very active program. They have a they have an, an entire family of rockets, and these some of these rockets are quite powerful. They can lift very heavy payloads into low Earth and uh, geostationary orbits. Uh, so they have been testing this for a very long time. They they are a very ambitious nation. The Chinese Communist Party is very ambitious, and they have placed a great deal of emphasis on science and technology since the days of Mao Zedong, since, since the 1960s. So the Chinese acquired rocket technology from the Russians. It was, I think, the Chinese uh, acquired technology in the form of the R2 Semyorka rocket, if I, if my memory serves me right. So this was the Russian version of a rocket that the Nazis had developed during the Second World War. It was a Russian improvement upon the V2 missile that the Nazis had developed. So this is the rockets that the Soviets had developed and they were improving upon. And they transferred some of this technology to the Chinese. And the Chinese have iteratively built upon that over the years and the decades. And today they have very powerful rockets. So it's all thanks to this initial transfer of technology from Russia. So the Chinese space program is more ambitious. It is more structured. It is better funded than anything ISRO has. If ISRO gets the kind of funding that they get, India will overtake China very quickly. But India is not investing in ISRO. India doesn't have, at the moment, the kind of ambition that I would like to see. So that's your answer in short. The Chinese program, space program is far ahead of ISRO at the moment in terms of capabilities, not in terms of talent, in terms of capabilities and funds and resources and infrastructure. Okay, next question. Okay, again by Anurag. Uh, thank you, Anurag. There are concepts of Vimanas mentioned in ancient texts like the Ramayan, Pushpak Viman, and also highly advanced weapons like Brahmastra. What are your views on this and why all these concepts vanished? Good question. So yes, we have had this concept of Vimanas, of flying, uh, of flying vehicles for thousands of years. Our ancient texts like the Ramayana speak about Vimanas. And like you say, like you have stated here, we have this, we had these ancient concepts of very powerful, energetic weapons like the Burmastra, which sound like the present-day nuclear weapons. So I do not know 
what this technology involved what is was it real technology or was it something we had imagined i do not know i would need some sort of uh, hard evidence to to arrive at some sort of conclusion but i am not one of the people who say this is nonsense if you talk to 99% of scientists if you talk to scientists 99% of them will say this is all nonsense it is all mythology and we need to get uh, to move forward and stop uh, believing in all this nonsense that's what they will say i say we need to have an open mind india was a highly developed civilization it was the most scientifically advanced civilization of all time and especially of the ancient times its science and technology was leaps and bounds ahead of every other civilization and culture on the planet and we have evidence of that we have the harappan era which was architecturally incredible we had immense feats of engineering pre- precision engineering hydro engineering we had uh, uh, we had uh, naval capabilities and it actually seems like we understood we had calculated in the harappan days the actual speed of light and we had a very great amount of uh, astronomical knowledge as well very accurate astronomical knowledge there is this uh, a, a stone carving has been excavated has been discovered in kashmir okay in the kashmir valley which depicts two suns in the sky and there there are some uh, constellation figures around that so this looked like some imagination of some ancient artist who has put two suns in the sky but then scientists at tifr the tata institute of fundamental research actually went through the ancient archae- uh, astronomical data and they found that there was a supernova in the 5th or 6th century bce or thereabouts which occurred exactly where this second sun was uh, was shown in the carving so this is the oldest and earliest depiction of a supernova in human history so that's how advanced we were we were we were keeping track of celestial events and our science and technology was very advanced so do we have evidence of pushpa of pushpak viman or other vimanas or the brahmastra as of today we did not have it but we know that we have lost all our ancient records of our history they were all burned during the uh, turkic invasions and the complete destruction of all of our all our universities and libraries so we have lost our data all our records so we cannot just dismiss these uh, these records of these uh, vimanas and advanced weapons it is possible we may have had some technology like that but to definitively make some sort of uh, comment on that i would need to see evidence so i hope that we look for evidence we do some archaeological work which we are not doing at the moment and hopefully we will be able to throw more light upon this matter so good question thank you kikali chishi thank you so much thank you appreciate it a uh, question by pragya kapoor the indian government is, is is funding isro more than ever but the indian budget don't allow us to invest more but even then government is fund increasing its funding every year how can india balance its budget well i am not an economist but there are always many ways of cutting out wasteful expenditure every government has wastage of expenditure there are schemes that are 
populist in nature they are designed to appease certain sections of society or certain classes of society etc certain schemes are good for garnering votes but they are not good for the nation in the long run so i am not making any specific criticisms or pointing out any specific schemes i am just saying that it is always possible to for a country as large and as immense as india to better allocate its financial and budgetary resources in the things that really matter in the long run so we may if we invest money in science and technology and space programs at the present time it may look like we are wasting money but 30 years down the line it's going to pay back 10 times more than we ever expected because technology always comes back in in different forms so the us space program was basically a, a military competition with russia and yet the technology that that were that had to be invented to make the space program possible had in immense uh spin off effects in in the civilian population i mean so many technologies came out of the space program which were initially meant to be military technologies but then they became available for civilian use and that advanced the economy and the standards of living there are so many such technologies wireless communication is is one of these and uh, i don't have it at uh, at my fingertips right now but there are a lot of technologies that came out of this and these are all more or less ubiquitous today in uh, in our day to day lives for example we would not be having this conversation without space technology right and much more so that's why we need to invest in this we we can better balance our budgets and we can we can maybe cut cut down on some expenditures and invest in something that will be good for the country in the long term so you always should keep the long term in mind temporary pleasures may make you happy for the next 5 minutes but it may have a harmful effect in the long run so always think of the long run always think of the next generations the future generations and the long term future and prosperity of the country so i would want the government to fund isro more thank you for the question next question legal freedom thank you thank you very much uh there is a series called ancient aliens they are showing our gods like aliens is earth a space lab for aliens so i have not really watched this series maybe an episode or two at most i am aware that they kind of depict india's gods like uh, aliens like extraterrestrial beings i think there is a very erroneous and somewhat disrespectful depiction of india's gods and india's india's culture uh, they are seeing they are trying to see everything through a very particular very specific lens so if you have if the only tool you have is a hammer then every problem looks like a nail so that's the kind of approach they are taking everything is aliens everything is extraterrestrials all ancient technology was be, was possible because extraterrestrials gifted it to us not because we are intelligent enough to develop it so i i personally do not uh, put too much credence into some of the conclusions they are drawing especially about india's ancient gods maybe some of the other facts that that they are bringing out maybe uh, valuable and valid i don't know but the part about indian gods i do not really agree with that i think it's a little disrespectful is the earth a space lab for aliens well we don't have any evidence as of now we don't have sufficient data to come to a conclusion 
I would like to see more data and then we can comment about it. So like uh, uh, like the one of the previous commenters said, some information is going to be declassified soon in the United States. So let's see what it is and then we can maybe come to a better kind of understanding about what's happening. So thank you for the question. I hope I have not missed anything. Kikali Chishi, thank you again. Uh, what is my opinion on space debris? Space debris are a long-term problem. It's an increasing problem. It's going to get worse and it's going to have, uh, it's going to cause problems in the future because uh, we are basically treating the low earth orbit as a cosmic junkyard. We're just dumping stuff there and it's flying around and it's already causing problems for the International Space Station. They have impacts from space debris, small space debris from time to time. And they have learned how to deal with these impacts. But I hope such a thing doesn't happen. But one of these days, something bigger might impact the, the International Space Station or some other satellite. And it could cause, uh, you know, some kind of harm to human life. And if it impacts the satellite and the satellite disintegrates, then it's going to cause an explosion of space debris, which could have a kind of domino effect and start destroying more and more satellites. So this is a very real possibility. And I think that every nation that is capable of uh, achieving low Earth orbit, especially commercially, should be very responsible in the way it dis disposes of defunct satellites. There should be a proper protocol of, of re-entering the satellite into the atmosphere and burning it into the in the atmosphere because of the friction that uh, it will encounter. Satellites should not be left to just drift in low Earth orbit. And other space jump sh junk should also not be left behind. So there needs to be a proper protocol for dealing with this. So space debris definitely is a big problem. And I hope we take better care of this issue. So good question. Thank you for the question. Okay, this is from Abhishek Srivastav. Isn't it doubtful that, uh, thank you, Abhishek. Isn't it doubtful that Harappan civilization is too advanced? Is it possible that aliens may have contacted them? Is it possible that aliens had contacted them? It is possible. We don't have proof that aliens did not contact them. We don't have proof that it did not, it did not happen. We also don't have proof that aliens contacted them. So as of now, with the lack of evidence that we have, we cannot pass judgment one way or the other. It is possible that aliens may have contacted them. Is the Harappan civilization too advanced? Well, it looks like it's uh, really advanced because it's a vast, immense urban civilization, like multiple times as large as Egypt. It is larger than Egypt and Mesopotamia put together. It is still larger than that. It's it's the It was immense. And it, that's only the part that we have excavated. It may be even larger than that. I think it's quite likely that the whole of India was urbanized in that manner. So yes, it was incredibly advanced for the time. And the kind of engineering we had, the kind of science and technology we had in that era was mind-boggling. So is it possible that aliens gave us this technology? Well, I don't have proof that it, they did not give us technology. But I think it's also very possible that we were intelligent enough to develop this technology and this the, all these uh, capabilities over thousands of years. Because as you know, our civilization 
has been proven to be at least 10,000 years, years old from the archaeological record. So it's possible also that we may have developed this technology on our own. So this question is essentially, well, it is, it is to be continued. It is to be resolved with more evidence in the future. But my strong conviction is that we developed all these capabilities on our own because of the advanced nature of our civilization. So thank you for the question. Okay, some more questions. This is by Char Govinda. Uh, let me come back to this. Uh, thank you, Randeep. Appreciate it. Thank you, Chetan. And thank you, Bhargava. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Okay, I will come back to that question again. This is by Chandan Mohanta. According to uh, thank you, Chandan. According to Dr. Stephen Greer, we can contact ETs via CE5. My opinion, I have connected them via CE5. Can you please try and make people aware? If you are successful, no harm in trying. Unfortunately, I don't know what CE5 is. Let me just Google it briefly. CE5, what is that? CE5. CE5 handbook. Okay, so you're talking about the CE5 handbook, an easy-to-use guide to help you contact extraterrestrial life. Interesting. So I was not aware of this specific handbook. I will look it up. I don't know what it is. So, so sure, I, I appreciate your suggestion. I will I will take a look at this and, and see what uh, I can make of it. So thank you for the question. Okay, back to Char Govinda. Thank you very much. Can you explain about why we did not become the leading nation before the invasions? If everything we did was more advanced, then where did we fail? Yes, yes, excellent question. So what is the meaning of the leading nation? We were a civilization and we were the leading civilization, the most advanced civilization. So we had these cycles of history. Our history has, was, was cyclical in nature. There were times when we were united under one single emperor. For example, Chandragupta Maurya. For example, Kanishka, the Kushan. For example, uh, the Gupta Empire and so on. So we had cycles of time when we were unified under one single emperor. And there were times when we had Mahajanapadas and various kingdoms. So we were uh, disunited politically, but we were still one single culture and civilization. And we were scientifically and technologically the most advanced. We, we had the highest GDP of any geographical area in the history of the world. So we were the most advanced civilization. We were the leading civilization before the invasions. Everything was more advanced. So where did we, did we fail? We became too civilized and too peaceful, right? So I have said this before in a different uh, forum on Ranveer's channel that there is a piece of ancient piece of wisdom that when you meet a swordsman, draw your sword. Do not recite poetry to somebody who is not a poet. And it seems that we may have kind of forgotten this particular piece of wisdom. So when the 
Turkic and other invasions happened, we kind of treated them as if they were as civilized as us. They were, their intent, the intent of the invaders was to slaughter us and wipe out our civilization. And our, some of our kings treated them as if they were civilized and they could be dealt with in a civilized manner. And the other thing was that we were not united politically. So this, these invasions happened at a time when India was not unified under a single emperor. If it had been that way, then nobody would have been able to invade us. For example, people like Alexander tried to invade India, the great conqueror Alexander. He failed miserably because India was unified under Emperor Chandragupta Maurya. So whenever India has been unified, and unified not just under one emperor, but unified as a people, at those times, nobody has been able to successfully invade us. So these invasions caught us at the wrong time. We were too civilized. There is no point having great culture, great architecture and great art if you can't defend it. What is the point of creating great art, great architecture, great culture if you do not have the willingness or the wherewithal to defend it? So that is the lessons of history that we need to learn. So that's an excellent question. Thank you. Okay, let me... Take some more questions. This is by Naveen Eka. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, as confirmed by Obama on UFO and according to Bob Lazar's documentary, the US have a crashed UFO and the UFO moves in atmosphere by squeezing space-time through gravity generating reactors. Is such a thing possible? So I am aware of the fact that uh, the the former President Obama has made some sort of disclosure that UFOs may exist or something like that, and that the US government and the Pentagon has some crashed alien artifacts of some kind. No details have been forthcoming, but some vague disclosure has been made. So the speculation is that these are very advanced technologies. Uh, these uh, alien spacecraft travel uh, faster than possibly the speed of light. They use the warping of space-time uh, through technology that doesn't exist yet in our, in our basically, uh, knowledge. And we don't have the capability to do that. But yes, according to certain, uh, certain solutions of Einstein's equations of general relativity, it may be possible to build a motor that can actually warp space-time in a manner that you can travel faster than the speed of light. It may be possible. Uh, new, new research papers have very recently been published that suggest that this technology may be possible if we have sufficient power. But the power needed to do this is incredibly immense. You may need to basically harness black holes. You may need to be able to control black holes and use them to generate the kind of power that is needed to, to power such an engine. So theoretically, it looks like in the future, such technologies may be possible and other civilizations that are way more advanced than ours may be able to do this. So the possibility does exist. Do we have any confirmation that such UFOs are there? We don't have confirmed evidence. We have some leaked uh, videos, black and white videos that don't really prove anything. So we are still waiting for more evidence. As I have said before, I am, I am not somebody who dismisses 
the claims of UFOs, that UFOs exist. But I would like to see evidence, hard evidence, multi-source evidence before I can come to some sort of a proper conclusion. So we are still waiting for that. But yeah, I agree that Obama has made some sort of uh, statement about this. So let's wait and watch. Good question. Thank you. Okay, uh, this is by Revant. Thank you. Any book suggestions on this topic? Project Serpo. So uh, I am assuming you're talking about UFOs. I don't know any books about UFOs because I have uh, the, I have not been reading up about UFOs. When I was a child, like 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, I read a lot about UFOs. But those were the books that children read, right? So as I grew older, I kind of... Uh, moved away from exploring the topic of UFOs because I realized that there is not sufficient data about this. It's all mostly speculation and conjecture and unproven claims. So I unfortunately do not know any good books about this topic. Uh, I will look it up and maybe the next time we discuss this topic, I can give some book suggestions. But as of now, unfortunately, I do not have any. So uh, apologies for that. And, and thank you for the question. Okay, let's see some more. This is by Caffeinated Caffeine King. Thank you. Did the US really send a man to the moon successfully or is it just a fabrication? So, yeah, interesting. Uh, I'm aware of the claims that this was all a hoax, that the moon landings were faked. So, yeah, there have been uh, significant claims to this effect. Some people believe that these are all faked moon landings. So here's my position about this. We know that the Americans created this space agency called NASA. We know that they invested immense amounts of money into this uh, organization. In the 1960s, they were investing like 3 to 4% of the national budget into this organization, NASA. And it was used to create this enormous infrastructure. Thousands of scientists were hired, office buildings were created, enormous labs were created, lots of research was done. All of this research was compiled and documented in thousands and thousands of pages of documentation. Rockets were built. We have seen the rockets. People have witnessed these rocket launches. Thousands of people at one time have witnessed every rocket launch. Many rockets crashed. Eventually, they improved upon the rockets. And we know that these rockets went up into the atmosphere. We know that they were carrying people. So is it possible to do all this and yet try to fake a moon landing with after investing billions of dollars worth of, of funds and creating all this infrastructure? We know that this Saturn V rocket did go up into the atmosphere. We know that it was launched. And after spending so much money constructing this enormously powerful rocket that actually works, I mean, why would you just not go to the moon? <laughs> so... So my position is that I completely believe that the moon landings happened. We know that the, the U.S. invested so much in building all this technology and capabilities. So they might as well use it to actually go to the moon. So I am pretty certain that the moon landings did happen. It's not a fabrication, at least in my opinion. If somebody disagrees, I respect your opinion. But my opinion is that it did happen. And we have seen evidence of that. Because... Uh, our Chandrayaan-1 orbiter, I think it, I believe it took 
images of the of one of the Apollo landing sites, and you could actually make out the Apollo lander and and some footprints and all that from the Chandrayaan photographs. So clearly there is evidence and independently verifiable evidence, not American photographs, but Indian photographs. So I am pretty much certain that this actually did happen. But good question. It's it's good to discuss these topics and, and these claims. So thank you. All right, some more questions. Pragna Krishna, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. This is by Rohit Raina. Thank you. Thank you, Rohit. Uh, thank you for this. I would like to I would love to interact for my sci-fi novel. Question one, is God real? If, if yes, then in which dimension he lives? Are there 11 dimensions as per our Vedas? Two, are there gravitational anomalies? Thank you, Rohit. Uh, is God real? Well, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I would love to have a real God. I, I hope that there is a God, a good benevolent God as, as we all, as many people believe in. I do not have an answer to whether God is real because I have seen with my limited senses and my limited intellect, I have not seen, I have not been successful in perceiving any direct physical evidence of God. It is most likely because of my limited senses and my limited intellect. Okay. So is it possible that God exists? I think it is very possible that God exists, but I unfortunately and regrettably have not seen any evidence. So it is only because of my shortcomings and not because God may not exist. So personally, I have not seen evidence, but I am very hopeful that God does exist. Uh, are there 11 questions as per our Vedas? Well, according to the Vedas, I don't know how many dimensions are there, but according to string theory, there could be 10 or 11 dimensions. We have not seen any evidence of these dimensions, but mathematically, string theory doesn't work. The theory doesn't uh, hold together unless we introduce 10 dimensions. But we have never seen any actual evidence of these dimensions in, in the physical world. So it is speculated that these dimensions are curled up and compactified in a variety of ways. But this is all theory. String theory has not made a single prediction that is actually observable or verifiable or falsifiable thus far. So once again, we don't know the answer. You see, science has a lot of theories, but there are a lot of theories that have, and there are a lot of things that have no answers. So that's where we are right now. Our actual knowledge, we may think it is immense, but it's actually very limited. So. So that's the answer to the dimensions question. And are there any gravitational anomalies? So I'm not sure what is the definition of, definition of anomaly. I would imagine what you're trying to say is the mathematical singularities that lie at the heart of black holes. So it is possible that these uh, singularities may actually be something else. See, what I'm talking about is that in the theory of general relativity, there are solutions of Einstein's equations where space-time, the curvature of space-time and the density of matter becomes infinite. So when something goes to infinity, it's called a mathematical singularity. Now, what does this mean in the, in the physical world? Because all this mathematics needs to have some meaning in the physical world for a physics theory to be valid. So according to 
so when something blows up, when you have a division by zero and you have an infinity, it actually means that your theory has a hole in it. It doesn't mean that space-time actually becomes infinite in curvature. It doesn't mean that matter actually becomes infinitely dense. What this singularity indicates is that the theory of general relativity has a flaw in it. It has, there, there is a loophole, there is a hole in it. And that probably is the fact that it it does, we don't know how it works at the ultra microscopic quantum level. So the thing is that we don't have a quantum theory of gravity. When we try to, when we, when we try to marry general relativity with quantum physics, it just blows up, it fails. We are unable to uh, create a theory of curved space-time at the ultra-microscopic level. We have been trying to do it for decades. We are still failing. So that is one of the big unanswered and open questions in physics. So this gravitational singularity, the, the singularity of space-time could be the anomaly that you're referring to. I don't think they actually exist, but what actually is there inside a black hole that is not known to us at all. So a gravitational anomaly could be a black hole or it could be the hypothetical wormhole or white hole. Do they exist? We don't know yet. We know that something that looks like black holes does exist. We know that there are ultra compact black dark objects at the center of uh, black holes, uh, at the center of galaxies. These are supermassive black holes. And there are other black holes as well. So yeah, these do exist, but the other anomalies like white holes and wormholes, we have never observed them thus far. So good question. Thank you. Let me go ahead. Okay, this is a question by Rachna Singh. Thank you, Rachna. Can you explain time as a dimension? Well, time is one of the other great mysteries of physics. We don't really know what it is. We, I mean, in the in the theory of general relativity, we take time as the fourth dimension. So we see the world as something that is three-dimensional in nature, length, breadth, and height, the three dimensions of, of space. And this theory, the general theory of relativity, considers time to be the fourth dimension. So that is how relativity looks at time as the fourth dimension. But we do not understand the nature of time. We don't know what it is. It's one of the great mysteries. Is time an emergent phenomenon? Is it something that emerges from the nature of space-time and the nature of the universe? Or is it something that is inherent to the, un to the universe? We don't know that. Could time be continuous? Could it be discontinuous? Is time quantum in nature? Do we have atoms and molecules of time? <laughs> so these are open questions. And we don't have the least idea of what time is. We have a very vague understanding of time. We don't even have a proper definition of time. It could be something that may possibly emerge out of the, uh, the second law of thermodynamics. It may be related to the quantity that is called entropy, which is a measure of disorder. It could possibly be a manifestation of the decoherence that happens at the quantum level and so on. So there are many theories. None of these theories has been proven. So time is one of the great open mysteries of nature and in physics. 
So imagine that. We don't even know what time is. So there's a lot to explore in the world. And we still haven't got things figured out. So great question. Thank you, Rachna. Okay. Let me see some more questions. The anonymous vlogger, thank you. Is it true about Chandrathal Lake and aliens? Ah, I am sorry. I don't have an answer to your question. I don't know. The Chandrathal Lake, I think it could be in the Himalayas, if I'm not mistaken. I only have a vague memory of, of hearing this name, but I'm sorry. I don't have an answer to this. I will look it up and maybe the next time we have this conversation, this, this discussion, I could update you about that. But as of now, I don't know about that. So apologies for that. Anurag Shekhar, thank you so much. Can you please explain about wormholes according to your perspective? So, so, so the, the black holes, as you know, are the result of the, some of the solutions to Einstein's equations. And other solutions of Einstein's equations give the concept of wormholes. So a wormhole is essentially a tunnel that connects two disparate regions of space-time. So the universe is made up of something called space-time, a four-dimensional fab fabric of space-time, three spatial dimensions and one temporal dimension. And these four dimensions work together as a single fabric. It is the stage upon which the universe exists. So that is space-time. So you can look upon space-time as a sheet. I mean, this is very commonly known that you can look upon space-time as a sheet of fabric and the presence of mass like a ball would make a, a kind of a dent or, or some kind of curvature in the space-time fabric. And that is what causes the force that we know as gravity. That is what we perceive as the force of gravity. So if you could connect two different regions of space-time by, go, by, by making a hole through it, that would be a wormhole. So that is a wormhole in very simple terms. It is a connection between two far off regions of space-time. It's like taking a shortcut. And are wormholes possible? Well, according to the Einstein, according to certain solutions of the Einstein equations, yes, wormholes may be possible, but it's not possible to keep these wormholes open unless you have some sort of special special exotic matter in there. Essentially, you would need to insert a negative mass inside a wormhole in order to keep it open because wormholes tend to close. They, the natural tendency of these theoretical wormholes is to close off very quickly. And they would close off, pinch off, and become two black holes. So to keep this connection, to, to keep the tunnel open, you would have to insert something which has a negative mass inside of it. And as you know, we have never seen any evidence of negative mass in well in our entire human history. So positive mass, it falls downwards. Negative mass would be repulsive in nature, so it would go upwards. That's the kind of exotic matter we're talking about. The other possibility is that something called cosmic strings, which possibly were formed in the very initial moments after the Big Bang, if these cosmic strings exist, then maybe they could thread wormholes and keep these wormholes open. So that is a possibility, but there is no evidence of it thus far. So do wormholes exist? We have never seen any, but hypothetically, theoretically, they are possible. 
so it, it may be uh, something that could form the basis of future technologies when we are more advanced than we, we are right now. So that hopefully answers your question. Thank you for the question. Okay, this is from Abhishek Shivastav. Thank you, Abhishek. Uh, where did the Indus Valley civilization disappear? And all scripts of that era have been deciphered. Well, what happened to the Indus Valley civilization and its people? So those people are right here. We are the descendants of the Indus Valley people. We are the descendants of the Harappan people. This civilization never disappeared. What happened was that there was climate change, which made habitation around the Saraswati River unfeasible. So 6,000, actually 8,000 years ago, the Indian monsoon was much heavier than what it is today. And around 6,000 BCE, the Indian monsoon started declining monotonically, slowly, slowly, slowly over centuries because of climate change. And the great river Saraswati was fed by the Indian monsoon. So it was a great river. It was a mighty river. And it was entirely fed by the Indian monsoon. And it, it emerged from the Himalayas through glacial meltwater. But the bulk of this river's water came from the Indian monsoon and other streams and all that. So as the monsoon declined, this river started drying out. And about three and a half thousand years ago, it dried out and stopped reaching the sea. So because of this climate change and the factors such as that, these great cities and great urban settlements that had been built around the river banks of this great river, there are thousands of such settlements that have not been explored archaeologically. So because this river dried out, the lifestyle that they were enjoying could no longer be sustained. And they had to slowly, over many centuries, gradually abandon these cities and move elsewhere. So these people moved eastwards into the present day regions of Madhya Pradesh, even Uttar Pradesh, and mostly Madhya Pradesh, Rajasthan, Gujarat. Some of them may have gone upwards to Punjab, Haryana, and all that. So their descendants are us. This civilization has never died out. It endures, right? We are the continuation of the so-called Harappan civilization. It is not some other civilization. It is our ancestors. So our history textbooks portray it as something that was different. As some, they portray it as something that got over. It ended. That is a lie. It is a, it is a distortion of history. The civilization has never died out. It endures. We have evidence of cultural continuity that is 10,000 years old. And that begins in the oldest settlement that is found in the Harappan era. So the civilization never disappeared. Are all scripts of that era deciphered? No. The so-called Harappan script is still undeciphered because very little effort has been put into deciphering it. I hope that with the advent of artificial intelligence and machine learning technologies, we can start using those technologies to decipher this script. I don't think it's very difficult once you have enough manpower, enough resources and enough funding. I think it should be not very hard to decipher the script, but somebody needs to get this together, to get the brains together, to get the technology in the right place and to allocate the kind of funding that's needed for this project. So I would imagine that the right person to do that or the right power to do this is the government of India. So far, they have shown no inclination for this. Hopefully in the future, they'll wake up and take up this project. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you very much, Abhishek. 
Okay, let me find some more questions. This is by Vihang Korane. Thank you, Vihang. Is it really possible to explore a black hole the way it was shown in the movie Interstellar without getting disintegrated under the influence of gravity? So that movie was pretty much accurate. It's possible to skirt out, skirt around a black hole and use it for a gravity for a gravitational assist as long as you don't come too close and as long as you don't cross or even touch the event horizon because the event horizon is the point of no return once you are there you're done so if you have enough velocity if you have escape velocity for that particular black hole then you can take a hyperbolic trajectory and shoot past it and use it for a gravitational assist so the the physics is pretty straightforward actually what would happen is as you come closer to the to the black hole you will experience time dilation which means that time will slow down for you from your perspective so what seems to be a minute for you could be very much longer for somebody who is far away from that massive black hole so all these effects have been shown pretty accurately in that movie interstellar i was very impressed with the way the the entire physics was portrayed i think they hired some physicists as consultants to get the to get all of this right so it is possible theoretically to do that but we don't know any black hole in our vicinity thankfully where we could go and do these experiments so maybe our descendants in the future could do these things but yes the the physics in that movie was pretty much spot on so good question Okay. This is by Madhav Dubey. Thank you, Madhav. What is the artificial sun that China is making? I think China is trying to, attempting to construct a fusion reactor. So when we look at the sun, I would not advocate looking at it directly because it will harm your eyes, but the sun is a massive nuclear fusion reactor. So what we witness when we see the sunlight is we are witnessing the light that comes out of a massive thermonuclear fusion reaction so we all have seen a nuclear reaction it's the sun so what china is doing is they are attempting to create to construct a reactor that could achieve nuclear fusion so the nuclear reactors that are used all over the world are fission reactors they use what is known as nuclear fission which is the splitting of an atom to produce energy is usually various isotopes of uranium and plutonium sometimes thorium that are used for conventional nuclear reactors now what can be achieved in a fusion reactor is that you take the nuclear reaction uh, which is the thermonuclear fission which is the fission reaction and use it to compress matter together and achieve fusion so when you achieve fusion of atoms it the output of energy is much higher than what you you would get in a fission reaction so that is the so called holy grail of nuclear physics to achieve fusion on earth as of now we don't have the technology to achieve fusion it's very difficult because of the immense temperatures and pressures that you would need to achieve in order to spark a fusion reaction so that is what china is trying to do 
it has not achieved it but that is the ambition so that's the artificial sun that you are talking about so good question okay yogesh thank you very much appreciate it Naveen Ekka, thank you Naveen. Does planet X exist beyond Pluto? It is possible. Uh, the kind of gravitational uh, effects we are seeing and the kind of orbits certain uh, certain proto-planetary bodies and certain minor planets, etc., etc., et are showing over there. It does indicate that there could be a massive planet out there beyond the orbit of Pluto. So the data that we have seems to indicate the presence of a massive object, a massive planet there. But thus far, we have not been able to actually find any evidence of it. There is a search going on as we speak. Many astronomers and many uh, departments of astronomy are actively looking for signs of such a planet. So we don't know if it is there or not, but it looks like something should be out there. It could even be a small black hole. <laughs> that could also do the same job that uh, a hidden planet would do. So yeah, there could be something out there. We are looking for it at the moment. Question by Shashank Garg. Thank you, Shashank. Are we living in a simulation? Uh, it is a possibility. I cannot discount that. Uh, do we have any evidence that we are living in a simulation? We don't have evidence, but as, as our technology gets more powerful, we can see the kind of uh, simulated environments we, we can create in, for example, gaming environments. If you, if you remember the PlayStation 2, which came out about 20 years ago, the kind of graphics it had was very rudimentary. Today you have technologies like the PlayStation 5, which have a very realistic environment that it can simulate. So the concept is that if you have a powerful enough supercomputer, you can actually simulate an entire universe with proper laws of physics inside uh, the cyberspace of this supercomputer. So you could actually have intelligent life forming within the simulation. And that is the concept of the simulation hypothesis that we could be actually living inside such a massive simulation, which is being run by some hypercomputer, which is owned by some very intelligent species of, of, of beings. We don't have any evidence of it, but the possibility cannot be discounted. So good question. Question by Aditya AK. Good. Uh, thank you. Did Shivkar Bapuji Talapade fly, fly a Vimana? Well, that is what the claim is. We don't have evidence today of what happened. There have been eyewitnesses who claim that he did fly a Vimana. He constructed a Vimana using the instructions in the Vyamanik Shastra text. And he actually succeeded in flying one of these machines. As of today, we have either no evidence of it or the evidence has been lost. So without evidence, I have not seen the evidence. So I cannot say that he has actually done it, but I have not seen, I mean, there is no proof that he has not done it. So he may have done it. He may not have done it. We do not have evidence today, unfortunately. So that's the answer in short. Thank you for the question. Abhishek Shivastav, thank you. Can we predict 
that how the universe will end. So there are a number of um, a, num- a number of uh, theories. So according to Big Bang cosmology and according to the evidence and data that we have, the universe is currently expanding and the expansion is actually accelerating. So the universe is expanding faster and faster. So f- distant stars and galaxies are getting more and more distant from us. We can see this because of the gravity, because of the redshift that we observe in the spectra that is uh, detected from these galaxies and stars. So we know that the expansion is accelerating. We can see the redshift. So it looks like from whatever evidence we have that the universe will keep on expanding forever and it will become cold and lifeless and eventually all stars and galaxies will will be too far away for us to see them and eventually even the fusion within stars will die out and everything will become cold and lifeless. So that is one possibility of how the universe will end. But that's not the only possibility. Maybe there will be a big crunch. So maybe at some point in time the expansion will slow down, stop and reverse. So it may contract again and it may and the opposite of a big bang may happen which is a big crunch. So that is another possibility. The third possibility is we may have a cyclical universe. So big bangs and big crunches happening all, all the time, one after the other, simultaneously, not simultaneously, but in succession. So that is the cyclical cosmology model. So there are a number of hypotheses or theories, but we don't have any proof or evidence. The science is still developing. We have lots of uh, unknowns right now. So that is the rudimentary uh, analysis that we can do as of today. So we don't really know what's going to happen, but we have some theories and models. So that's the answer. Thank you. Pavan Midam. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay, again by Abhishek. Thank you, Abhishek. If there is cultural continuity from Indus Valley civilization, then we should have to be more advanced than we are right now. But why are we not? Because we are not advanced the way we should have been because we lost our science and technology. We lost our universities. We lost our libraries. And we lost the knowledge that had been accumulated for thousands of years. So when these Turkic invasions happened about a thousand years ago. They stole all the important texts from our libraries, texts of mathematics, of of astronomy, of science, of Ayurveda, pharmacology, and so many more things. They took it to their country. They translated it into Arabic. From the Islamic world, it made its way into Europe. And that's how Europe got hold of ancient Indian mathematics and science, trigonometry, infinite series, calculus, and much more. And then the Turkic invaders proceeded to destroy our universities. They killed, slaughtered all the gurus, all the students, and they burned burned all the libraries. And that is how the knowledge that we had acquired over thousands of years was lost. And that is why we became basically disconnected from the knowledge that should have been our heritage. And that is the reason why we are not advanced the way we should have been if this calamity had not happened. 
if that if this calamity had not happened then all the technologies that have been developed in the west would have been first invented in india the theories of quantum mechanics of relativity and everything else would most likely have been first discovered in india if all this had not happened so the story the moral of the story is if you have a great civilization you should know how to protect it that is the moral of the story so thank you for the question Bibuja, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> okay, this is a question from Indic Knowledge. Thank you. Universe is expanding into what? What was before the Big Bang? Was it a point-sized object? Yeah, okay, that's the question. What is the universe expanding into is the big question. We don't know what it is expanding into. Is there something outside the universe that it is expanding into? Well, we cannot answer the question unless we can go outside our universe and observe what is outside. But with the kind of technology and knowledge that we have, we cannot even travel outside our planet. As of now, we don't even know how to reach the, the nearest planet, which is Venus or Mars. We can't even travel beyond our solar system we can't travel beyond our galaxy so the question of traveling beyond our universe and looking outside doesn't exist right now the question doesn't doesn't arise we are not sufficiently advanced as a, as a species to do that so what is the universe expanding into we don't know we do not have any theory of what is outside of our universe we do have hypothesis the multiverse hypothesis so there may be multiple universes out there beyond our own universe but it's a hypothesis there is no proof of it and it's not falsifiable so it's not a really a valid scientific theory it's just a hypothesis what was before the big bang was it a point size object so that's what the big bang theory says that in the beginning the universe was a point sized object of infinite density of infinite energy and it expanded into what we see it as the uh, as the universe today so that is what we understand from the big bang theory that the uni universe was a point sized zero dimensional infinitely dense object so that's the answer to your question thank you A question from Richard Nair. Is the theory about the supermassive black hole in our galaxy actually being a fluff ball of Darkinos true? It's a theory. Uh, we have not gone there and tested it because it's too far. So there are many models for what a black hole could actually be. Maybe it's not even a black hole. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a fuzzball. Maybe it's, it's a ball of strings, of, of one-dimensional strings. Maybe it's a fluff ball of darkinos. Maybe it's it's something else. Maybe it's an eternally collapsing object. Maybe it's not a true black hole and some, it's actually something that's slightly larger than a black hole. So we don't really know what a black hole actually is. Is it really a black hole or is it something else? There are a number of theories. The currently accepted consensus 
is that black holes are actually the black holes that emerge out of the uh, Einstein equations, out of solutions of Einstein's equations in general relativity. But until we have a black hole in a laboratory and we can test it, it's only a theory. It may not necessarily turn out to be the way we think it is. So this theory is a valid theory, but we don't have any proof that can either prove it or, or debunk it. So it's a valid scientific theory. That's all I can say at, at the present time. So thank you for the question. Okay, one second. Kritanam Koshik, we follow your content religiously. Please put out more. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. I shall continue having these uh, sessions regularly. Thank you very much. Bubbly Banerjee, thank you, Bubbly. Recommend the books to learn particle physics entirely. So I think I have a video on my channel in which I have given a number of book recommendations about physics. Uh, it's not entirely about particle physics. I think it's about dark matter, dark energy, and astrophysics and the like. But yes, the books that I have uh, specified in that will help you to some extent in understanding the concepts of particle physics as well. And maybe in the future I can do another video in which I can recommend a set of books in which, uh, which could help you to learn particle physics or other aspects of physics. So I would recommend that you check out that video in my channel. Thank you. Legal freedom, thank you. Elon Musk wants to colonize Mars and Bezos wants the moon. What will happen if they are successful? Are we going to see Star Wars in the future? So what's happening is the initial stage of the privatization of space. That is what's happening. And the US government is actually funding some of these space programs, those of Elon Musk and of Bezos. Elon Musk has this company called SpaceX and Jeff Bezos has a, has a company called Blue Origin. So Jeff Bezos is not, is not demonstrating as much overt ambition as Elon Musk. He says that his ambition is to first take the initial step and go to the moon. So he is doing it in a very progressive, gradual and step-by-step -step manner. Whereas Elon Musk is talking about going to Mars straight away. So they both are doing a great deal of progress. They have invested a lot of money into this. They are doing a lot of tests and they have actually built the rockets that are capable already of going this distance. These rockets are being tested. A lot of testing is necessary before you can put human beings on these rockets because human, human lives are at stake. But they will eventually be successful once you pour sufficient money and funds and resources into a program and you have the basics of rocket flight, which have already been validated for many decades. So it's going to succeed eventually. So once it succeeds, you're going to see the privatization of space. And yeah, you're going to have competition and rivalries and some sort of Star Wars, maybe not actual kinetic warfare, but yes, corporate warfare and various kinds of rivalries. So if SpaceX is able to colonize Mars in the future, they could claim ownership of Mars. Who knows? That could also happen. So all kinds of possibilities are open right now. The space race is just 
beginning. It's going to heat up very soon. There's going to be a big rush to the moon in this decade itself and even to Mars. So I hope, like I've said before, that India will participate seriously and not just participate, but try to win the race. So that will make things really interesting and it will be beneficial for the future of humanity. If a non-American power would also participate in the space in the space race, China is definitely participating. So is Russia. So is the, Euro the Euro European Space Agency. So India should also be very serious about this. So the future of space exploration is up for grabs as we speak right now. Thank you for the question. <clears throat> this question is from Randeep Pradhan. Thank you. Are we heading towards a type one civilization? If yes, then when, when and do you think there is life after death? <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> so the type one civilization on the Kardashev scale is a civilization that is able to control and harness all the energy and resources of its home planet. So it means that this civilization should be able to control the weather, it should be able to control the oceans, it should be able to control all the energy output that is potentially available on the planet, all the natural gas, all the petroleum, all the volcanic energy, all the wind energy, all the thermal energy, everything. So as of now, we are very far away from being a type 1 civilization. We are not heading towards it. We are actually messing up our planet. We are making it difficult to for, for our uh, descendants and future generations to have a good life on this planet. And uh, so, so we are quite far from being a type 1 civilization. Will we achieve it in the future? I, as of now, I think it's quite difficult. We need to really turn our ways around and become more efficient and less wasteful in, in the way we uh, carry out our day-to-day our -day lives, especially the West, which has this, uh, this culture of disposability. Everything is disposable in the West. Use something once and throw it. So that is the kind of thing that is destroying our planet. And that is one of the things and one of the worldviews that is preventing us from progressing in the direction of becoming a type one civilization. So we would have to become more efficient and more, uh, and we would need to treat nature and our resources with more respect and stop treating earth as a, as a dustbin. And then only we can think of trying to move in that direction. So that's the answer. Um, do I think there is life after death? <laughs> I, ha I have no idea, honestly. I don't know. Is there life after death? Is there consciousness after, the, after death? The living body definitely dies, decays, right? But does consciousness persist in some form after death? That is the big question. Um, according to the many worlds theory of, of quantum mechanics, there is something called, uh, there's a thought experiment called quantum suicide. I would suggest you guys read up about that. So that kind of suggests that there could be quantum immortality and maybe consciousness could persist after the physical body dies. That is one of the possibilities that emerges out of the theory of quantum mechanics, out of one of the interpretations of quantum mechanics. So who knows? 
we as of now we don't really understand quantum mechanics at all there we understand how to use it but we don't understand what it, what it is telling us maybe there are missing pieces of information missing pieces of the, of the puzzle maybe we aren't intelligent enough to reach the correct level of understanding so as of now we do not have answers to that question is there life after death and does consciousness persist after death we don't know as of now but good question okay let me take a couple more questions It's a question by Viraj Mane. Uh, my opinion on the theory that every matter is a particle in consciousness and acts as energy in in consciousness. So I think there is a theory called panpsychism, which says that every, which says that all matter is imbued with some form or some degree of consciousness. This is a theory. in philosophy it's not a scientific theory it's a philosophical theory so there is a clear distinction between philosophy and science science is a subset of philosophy and philosophy is something that is beyond science it is larger than, than science so science essentially deals with the observable universe and physical objects philosophy also deals with the physical the observable universe and and, and physical objects but philosophy also deals with non physical objects and ideas so the question of panpsychism whether there is consciousness in inanimate objects and other matter well that's a philosophical theory it is a theory that has been around for a very long time i believe that even indian philosophy has this theory so do we have scientific evidence of this we do not have scientific evidence of this maybe our science hasn't progressed that much maybe we aren't we haven't achieved that level of advancement to be able to test this theory so as of now there is no evidence of this but in the future we may be able to test this out so that is a brief answer to your question thank you viraj this is by soham barambe thank you soham what do i think of the collision between andromeda and milky way and can i explain what small changes will occur so good question the andromeda galaxy is the farthest object that we can see with the naked eye it is our neighboring galaxy it is part of the local uh, corner of the universe the local cluster and the milky way galaxy and andromeda galaxy are coming closer together every minute every second and eventually they're going to merge they're going to combine it's not going to be a physically violent collision the stars will just pass through each other so they will pass through the, through the gaps the galaxy itself is very large there are immense empty spaces so there will be no actual collisions if if there are any actual collisions this will be very rare so the two galaxies will pass through each other there will be a spiral dance kind of gravitational dance and eventually they will merge into a larger super massive galaxy and i think the name people have given it is milkomeda or something like that so it will happen and uh, the night sky at that time will look very different it will be more it will be brighter so this will happen sometime in the next 5 billion or so years so 
at that time the sun will have expanded in size it could have become a red giant possibly by that time and the earth will become a very much hotter place life as we know it today will not be possible at that period in time so hopefully 5 billion years from today we may have moved somewhere else if our civilization and our species still manages to survive so that's the kind of change that will occur, that will occur the galaxy will become a larger combined galaxy it will become very much larger and much brighter so that's what's going to happen in about 5 billion years in the future okay let me take one more question and then we are done Okay this is by Steve Jobs welcome back Steve uh what should young people be doing if they want india to make the most technologically advanced nation in the world in coming years well the young people of india are the future of india so it all rests in your hands uh to make india the most technologically advanced nation in the world you have to embrace science and technology So I talk a lot about our culture and history. We have to understand our culture and history, but the way forward is through science and technology. So we have to embrace science and technology. We have to learn the latest technologies. We have to make ourselves proficient at it, and we have to develop our own systems. So future of India has to be entrepreneurship and science and technology. So I would like. the government to make it easier for indians to become entrepreneurs right now it's very difficult to start a, a company in your in your garage or in your bedroom it's very difficult for young people to do that so that's the first thing that needs to happen india needs to create the right environment the government of india needs to make it easy for young entrepreneurs to start and succeed and secondly young people teenagers and and other people other young kids need to learn the latest technologies coding programming web design and all these things today it's possible to learn all of this online for free so you need to embrace all of this and learn all the new emerging technologies and let your creativity and imagination run wild run with it the in the future the education system is going to very soon become obsolete degrees will be worthless the only thing that matters is going to be what skills you have and what problems can you solve with these skills so learn skills like programming and other and artificial intelligence machine machine learning everything can be learned online today for free embrace technology embrace science be grounded in your roots in your culture we are the oldest and most advanced civilization of all time in the known universe right we have always been at the forefront of science and technology over the past 10000 years so we need to revert back to that right so we need to embrace science and technology and if we do that then there is so much talent in india india is home to the most talented and intelligent people in the world and the most energetic young people in the world so you we, we can all take the country forward and and become the greatest civilization all over again if we do this so that's a great question I think we should be done. Okay, this is the last question. Absolute last question for today. Jalaj Kumar, thank you very much. 
Have we measured two-way speed of light? Is it possible that one-way speed of light is different? No. Uh, the speed of light is the same in any direction. It's always the same. It's a cosmic limit that has been imposed upon this universe. There is no way of breaking this limit. Even if you are sitting hypothetically on a photon which is going in one direction and you encounter a photon that's coming in the opposite direction, so this guy is moving at the speed of light and this guy is also moving in, at the speed of light, still you will see the incoming photon not coming at you at twice the speed of light, but only at the speed of light. So that is the kind of hard-coded cosmic limit we have in the universe. So we have measured the speed of light very accurately using different technologies. And it is not possible that the speed of light may be different in certain directions. It is a universal limit in our universe. So thank you guys. This was a great session. Thank you very much for your participation. It was great fun. And I'm going to conclude today. So tomorrow I'm going to have a session about Indian history. Come with your questions. Ask me anything about Indian history tomorrow and I will answer these questions. And tomorrow I will also let you know the schedule for the next week. What sessions we're going to have in the next week. So thank you so much for all your questions. Apologies to, the, to those of you whose questions I could not answer. But let's keep doing it. And let's keep interacting and uh, exploring all this knowledge. So thank you everyone and have a good night. Bye.